sections that I've kind of been playing around with and uh, it's something I find myself talking to a lot of young people about more so than say an older generation but every generation struggles with it to some degree. I think as we get a little bit older we get too tired to struggle with it so it might get a little easier but we just do. I want to talk to you a little bit about identity today. Um, in the first book of Samuel there's this confession amongst uh, the people. And I don't, it's, at the time, it's not looked at really as a confession, but uh, to me, it's this idea of where we actually see the heart open up. And, and uh, it takes place in 1 Samuel chapter 8, uh, verse 20. I'll give you a few seconds to hand there. Yeah, this stool's not going to work. <laughs> I can't think when I'm sitting down. 1 Samuel 8, chapter 20. It's a real quick, real quick. Say amen when you're there. That's pretty good, pretty good. The confession of the people of Israel is this to the prophet Samuel. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. We want to be like the nations around us. That's just what I'm going to focus on. It's something that kind of sticks to me a little bit because I think... uh, I think one of the hardest things that I've had to deal with in my life, and, uh, and maybe, like I said, this is more of a confession moment even for me, is, is, uh, is dealing with identity. The things that I want or the things that I desire, are they the things of God? All these things uh, seem to pull at us. They pull each of us uh, into, eventually, we become what we see. We become, that, basically, that's what's happening here. So in as we look, it says, we want to become like the nations around us. So what are they looking at? They're looking at the nations around them, right? They see what the nations around them look like. They see the prosperity of the nations. They see how well organized the nations are. They see how uh, 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 the nice houses, the way they look, the way they dress. They see all these things about them. And there is this pull in each of us to become what we see. And it shouldn't be shocking that I say that because I have kind of said it a lot in here, especially if you've uh, sat underneath me for any sort of leadership. One of the things you've heard me say is that we become what we behold. We become what we look at. Whatever our eyes are constantly looking at, we have a tendency to shape our lives after it. It's nature. Um, that being said, I once read that there are three persons living in each of us. There's the one we think we are, there's the one other people think we are, and then there's the one that God knows. Which one am I meeting today in you? We all struggle. We all struggle with identity. And truthfully, like I said, I know for me, I think we struggle with it all our life. There's just so much pulling at us all the time. And for Israel, they looked upon the nations that surrounded them. Now think about this. When Moses came out of Egypt, they left with a lot of spiritual baggage. Man, I don't know if you want to go back and remember the story, but remember Aaron's supposed to be the big brother. Aaron is like the brother, right, who is like going to be the priest. Levitical priests are all going to fall under the line of Aaron, but as soon as they get across the Red Sea, they want to immediately start worshiping other gods. And guess who's the first one to hit the gold on the calf? Aaron. Good job, bro. Right? Why was he so good at it? Because he'd done it a million times before. Because it's what he'd stared at his whole life. It's all he knew. It's easy to fall back into things like that. 
Um, in the era of kings of Israel, every generation is constantly redefining who they are. I mean, while captives of Babylon, slavery and idolatry will begin to take its toll on Israel. Think about it. They start inheriting all these, uh, uh, the way they dress, the way they look from the, from the Persians uh, during the time of Esther. I mean, you know, they, they, they kind of were gathered in by cultures and one culture upon another culture. And it all in, like invades the whole uh, 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 Jewish life to the point that by the time we get to Nehemiah and Ezra, this this horrible thing that takes place where they're not they shouldn't have never like intermarried before. But now they have to. And like now all of a sudden they abandon all their wives and their children that they sh- never should have had in the first. I mean, it's like it leads to all these horrible things because when the culture came around, they consumed into the culture rather than staying set apart. Now, I've already talked about being set apart and being different and being a trailblazer, but some of this kind of fall in the same, same area. By the time we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus in them. And by the way, the whole New Testament is written in Greek. By the way, the Jews didn't write in Greek. They wrote in Hebrew. Hebrew was their language. Why were they writing in Greek? Because the culture had swallowed them. And the things that had been their very nature, their very beginning, right? The roots of where they'd come from had started to disappear. I started to leave them. So let me ask you a question. How many times have you completely done a personality makeover in your life? Like every new year? Like where you put your list together, I'm going to be a totally different person this year. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And I mean, you ever gone back and just looked at some of your old photos? You, you should do that this week. I mean, I, my wife's been going through, they've been cleaning the garage a lot, and we got to look at some old photos. Go, go take a trip back through memory lane and see how many trends you followed. Come on, how many different haircuts did you get? Ladies, how many colors have you had? Mm-hmm. You can almost tell like which era, right? Which, ten, which decade was that hairstyle, right? And, and listen, as you get older, it just gets worse, right? Because you're going to see from decade to decade how that changed. You know what's weird is for me to go back and look at the way we dressed in the 80s and see it today. Really weird. Skinny jeans, all that stuff then, man. You know what's funny is like guys wore skinny jeans and makeup back in the 80s and nobody thought it was less manly like they do today. Totally weird. Although it was kind of weird then now that I think back at it. But in all this search we do, we're always trying to be like everyone and everything else. And I'm not any different. When I was young, my parents noticed that I didn't run like all the other kids. I'm not in a good thing either. So they took me to the doctor. They recommended that the doctor recommended a specialist, and through a series of tests, they found out that I had a disease called Perthes disease. Now, Perthes disease basically is this is is kind of the where the thigh bone comes in, or at least for me, it was where the thigh bone came into the the hip, the joint right there in the hip. All right, and because uh, for whatever reason in the disease it didn't allow blood or whatever access to the to the bones. I think I'm getting this right. Uh, it caused the bone to start deteriorating. So one leg was shorter than the other. And it just keeps eating the bone because it can't form. It doesn't get any blood to that. So what they have to do is they have to pull that out. And how they keep it out is with a set of braces. Now, they've come a long way since now and then. I see some of these kids have braces, and they're like literally way up between the thigh. But like when I was a kid, you got a pair of shoes. And don't before somebody throws down the Forrest Gump magic shoes, they weren't like that. But they, they were a pair of shoes where my legs were split wide out, really wide, probably wider than that. And they had a bar at the bottom between the ankles. And you, whatever that did, that allowed the bone to be pulled out still and stay out so that the blood could get to it and everything, and it would grow back up. 
No big deal. Now, it would cause me to be flat-footed, but can I tell you, when you're five and six years old and you're running around with a bar between your leg and you can't do everything every kid's doing, kids aren't like the nicest people on the playground. So as a kid, I, through disease, I, I realized real quickly, first of all, I'm going to have to learn how to fight because I'm flat-footed now. Can't run from the bully. He's faster. So as a kid, I get bullied to the point that I become the bully. And so this early part of my life, I spent being mean because I had received me. And I thought, man, and, and like anybody else, I looked upon it and said, I'm not going to be scared. I'm going to be like these guys and never be scared of anything. And so that's kind of how I did. I walked into everything aggressive. And uh, my, my wife calls it the gift of aggression or the gift of confrontation. I don't know if I call it a gift. I call it a learned attribute based off the, my life. And as it got worse, as I became a teenager, because we know how smart teenagers are and are able to hold their emotions so strong and just so good at it, right? Uh, it got worse. And uh, eventually, I joined the Marine Corps because I thought, you know, that's where I'm going to belong. They'll appreciate a guy like me. And, you know, they did. <laughs> they, they, they did. Uh, they weren't uh, uh, definitely, uh, there was not, not a really good nice side to them, but I struggled there too. There was things that I saw there, because I think the thing is about what I struggled with in my life, I was trying to always be somebody else. I, I was never going to be me, because me wasn't fast enough, couldn't do sports. Like, I mean, my brothers were way better than me at some of the sports, because they were faster. They didn't have a stunt of growth because of their legs. They grew. <laughs> my, my, if you've met my middle brother, he's twice miles. He's huge, right? He was, man, when we played baseball, something I, that was... Uh, uh, my dear to my heart, you know, that I saw that my dad just loved it so much and I wanted to be the best of it. My brother really liked basketball more, but you know how hard it was for me to watch my brother be better than me at baseball? Great at it. Here I am a senior. I'm barely starting on the varsity team. My brother's like knocking home runs. I mean, and, and why? It all goes back to there. And so this disgruntledness, right? So I'm constantly looking, well, where can I fit in? Where can I feel this completeness? Where can I find this that I'm looking for? Where, who can I be? Well, I'll fit into the skater side, so I'll shave my head, look weird, and, drive, and do the skateboard thing. That doesn't work for a while, so I become the bully bully, or the drug addict, or the alcohol. That was a cool place to be in high school. Got me a lot of attention, some good, some bad. But it became my identity, going to core. That became my identity. All of a sudden, I become this Marine, and I'm a hard charger, and I'm going to be the strongest guy out there, and I'm going to do this, and I'm just going to be all about this, and... And you know what I found out after I came back from combat? That maybe my heart wasn't really liking some of the things that I was becoming. So I find myself back at the same road again. Then who am I? If I'm not this kid who's hurt, and I'm not this kid who's tough, and I'm not this kid who can be the athlete that I'd like to be or can't, I can't be it. I just physically can't be it. Then who am I? Well, I'm a Marine, but I don't know that I like being a Marine. For the things that I had to do in there and the things that it would make me become, I didn't like myself. So I was like, well, if I'm not that, then who am I, right? And so I find myself at a very critical moment in my life. Uh, insert Joy Corsi, who kept me preoccupied long enough for me to hear the words of Jesus. It's funny where you meet Christ, you know. For me, it was at a place where I was struggling so hard with my identity and who I was. So afraid to be me. And even to her, I was afraid to be me. Lied a lot. A lot of things I learned uh, uh, as a young man that were just not wise. Um, and uh, wasn't a, I, I was 
not unfaithful or anything as we dated, but, but uh, just wasn't a man that I needed to be for her in the beginning. A lot of still struggling with drugs and alcohol, not knowing how to process, being, being on my own for a long time and her being young and her not seeing the world as I had seen it uh, gave us two very different perspectives. Um, and I honestly, I felt a lot like uh, the, the, she met me right in the middle of, you ever seen the movie uh, Megamind? That's a weird movie to say that right there, right? But uh, it's got Will Ferrell in it. He's like an, a bad guy and he's fighting a good guy. And the reason he's a bad guy, he says this early on, he found out that being bad came easy for him. And he thought, well, there's already somebody that's good. Maybe what my purpose is, is to be bad because it's what I'm good at. I get in trouble for it all the time. And so like, you know, in the end, the, the movie comes together in the end, but that's kind of how it felt. Like for me, it was a whole lot easier being an outlaw than a good guy. A whole lot easier. And so like I, I kind of had to struggle there with this identity that I'm always going to be this bad guy. There's always this bad guy that's deeply uh, uh, inside of me that, that is okay with things that I know I shouldn't be okay with. And there's this fight, this constant struggle, right? And so, so, I, so I'm trying to become this, I, I meet my wife, I'm, I marry her, I'm trying to become this man, and, and again, identity is still switching back and forth. Now I'm a husband, somebody who was in the Marine Corps, I'm not in the Marines now, uh, but I haven't gone to college, I don't have my, uh, uh, you know, I don't have any special training, I don't want to go be a cop, which is about all that the Marine Corps qualifies you for, I don't want to go do those things, I thought, well, maybe I'll go be a fireman, I was also going to bring a picture, I got a picture of me all, I was a volunteer fireman, did the whole volunteer fireman, got to go in a house without burning down, uh, they sent me to EMT school, and uh, as soon as I got back in all the seeing people die and seeing people's blood and everything like that, I was like, okay, I saw that in the core. I don't want to see that right now. Like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that right now. I'm not over some of that, and that's what it showed me. So I don't think I'm ready to be anything like that. So let's try something else. We moved back uh, to Texas. Uh, I get a job as a CAD engineer. I'd never done that. Maybe that's just who I am. Maybe I'm, 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 I am smart. I just don't work well with school, uh, but, and I'm doing well at that, but I think it's not enough because I want to be the guy who can take care of my wife, and I want to, and, and, and like, as if I'm impressing someone, right? Like who? But I want to take care of my, I want to take care of my kids, so I'm going to, I want to start another, I'm going to start a hunting company, and we're going to be successful at it, and it's going to be so good, and I, I thought maybe if I'm successful, and I have some money, and I've, 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 my wife is taking care of, she never has to work, this will be the identity That'll be respected. This will be the identity I can put on this front because inside I'm not that guy. Inside I'm still the guy trying to figure out. I'm just trying to play whoever I need to play. And I don't mean like play, like play somebody against them. I mean like I'm just trying to role play this, this identity. Yeah, because I'm smart and I'm a professional hunter. I'm not a professional hunter, man. I didn't know what I was doing the first couple years. And so I had some of those things. And you know what? With all the cars, the house, all that junk, I was wrecked. I was miserable. I was broken. I missed my kids growing up because they just had to have that swimming pool. Because they just had to have those cars to drive back and forth in. Because they had to have these certain things. And I never thought maybe what they had to have was a dad. Uh, I thought that's just what dads are, man. They work. Both my parents worked a lot. So I just seemed normal to me. And I thought, yeah, that's what I'll play. I'll, just, I'll play what I've seen. I'll play what I think, right? Because I can't be me. Because me is an outlaw. Me is bad. That's what I've been my whole life. So I struggled there. And I constantly just looked at who I needed to become so I could get through that part of life. 
And it changed, man. But I keep finding myself right back to the place where I was miserable, right back to the place where I'm broken, right back to the place where my whole life feels wrecked, even though it looks good on the outside. And in the midst of that is when God calls me back into ministry. The whole time I'm going to church, man, and I'm searching out God. And I'm looking for everything, man, that God can give me. And the the funny thing is, I end up finding my identity in the very things that in, in, in the very things that I don't like being. I don't like being broken. I don't like showing vulnerability. I don't like showing weakness. But I have found that if I don't, these are the very things that overcome me. And I find myself a slave to a false identity. Let me say that again. I find myself a slave to a false identity. That all of a sudden I can't be really free because I'm too busy trying to be something or someone else. Or worse, I find myself being the hypocrite. I either say something that, oh, I've done it before and then try to judge someone. Then I become the slave again. Now, these days I've kind of thrown off a lot of those things. And the older I get, the more I throw it off. And I just come out like, this is who I am. You either like it or you don't. You know what I found out? I found out I'm a bit nerdy. I'm like super nerdy still. I still build, I'm building like costumes at my house. It's awkward. Uh, because like I do have a heart for like guy stuff. Like I love sports. I'm going to watch football like crazy. There's nothing like watching somebody get like just demolished on a football field. You know, it just, I, I'm still like all these guy things. But then on the flip side, you know. Uh, I, man, I'm going to do nerdy stuff. I'm going to sit there and play call, you know, video games. I'm going to uh, totally have my mind blown um, watching stuff about engineering and NASA and things about outer space and all these things that I still love to do. Uh, I love anything that has to reveal around art and uh, paintings and all these other things. I love all that, right? And so I've kind of like had to come to peace with some of that and like come, kind of like come to grips, okay, this is who you are, it's not girly, right? But, and by the way, I say that because that's how it's bullied to you, right? That's pretty girly, bro. What? Right, that's how we do it, right? It's subtle like that, isn't it? Well, come on, man, that's what I like, bro. That's what I like. Um, if, you've, if you were around in the youth group, you saw the kids that I, that I attracted. I attract kids that are eccentric. I attract kids that have a different train of thought. I attract artistic kids. I attract kids that, that are always bullied for who they are. And the reason why is because I wish somebody would have fought for me and said, it's good to be you. Go be you. Go be you. My guess is you're a bit like me. I think you st- we all struggle at times to know who we are. We struggle uh, uh, with lying so people will like us. We struggle to become whatever people need so that we'll belong so that we'll have friends, so that we'll be liked. That's how it is. And it, like, I don't think it's happening sort of like you are aware of it. I think it's more like a, like a rip current. You, you know what a rip current is? It's, it's like where the current is, it's an underneath current that pulls everything back out. But you can't see it, it just looks like waves crashing. So everything looks fine on the surface. You're used to everything crashing around you, and you hear the crashing of the ocean, and it's peaceful and it's serene while it's secretly sucking you out to sea. And that's how life is, right? It's like every day it's happening around you and you don't even notice that you're changing who you are to become something you're not at times. And you know when it happens, because that's when you start getting worried, well, would they really like me? 
And I, I'm going to have to be this way around them so that they'll like me. Because if I was me, they might not like me. The, the biggest problem is that God made you to be you. Like, this is the crazy thing about this whole message. This is probably like a hugely profound message that will never get preached. God made you to be you. And it's okay to be you. It's okay. Yeah, um, Ephesians 2.10, I, I, I had a whole, um, this is kind of one of my favorites. Uh, it's a whole, I did a whole purity conference based off this scripture. For we are God's masterpiece. He's a created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he's planned for us long ago. You are God's masterpiece. What are you ashamed of? I, I tell you what, I've got a few paintings in the deal. Let's just show the first one here. Well, they've got it stretched out a little bit, but, but this painting right here, does that thing look like something over-the-top spectacular? It's all artist subjective, right? So it, but you know how much it's worth? $300 million. 300, show the next one. Like, this is great for the man cave right here. I like this one. This one I can get. You know, I get, I understand this one's old school playing cards, hanging out, two guys. 180 million. 180 million. Now, what do you think the copies are worth? You think they're worth 180 million? Why? Because it's not the original. What do you think you are? So why do we want a copy of you? Why do you think I would want a copy of anybody else? Do you think God wants you to be something that you're not? He made you a $300 million masterpiece. Come on, he, you're priceless. So why, be, why waste your time? Why exhaust yourself being anything other than you? There's only one you. Only one. No one has your fingerprints, right? You've heard all this stuff before. No one has your eyes. Those are totally inclusive to you. They're, they are all individually unique to you. Why do you think that is? If God wanted us to look alike and sound alike, he would have created clones. But he didn't. He created us different. And it's our difference. Let me, hear, let me, let me just say this so you know this. It's our differences that make us beautiful and special. C come on, man. If the world could get this message, there'd be no race talk. Because you would understand that being black is beautiful. Being white is beautiful. Being brown is beautiful. It's what makes you special. It makes you individually unique. We understand that, right? I'll tell you what, let me, let me see if I can help you a little bit here. Uh, Romans 12, verse 5. Paul says, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with the Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. The Bible says that we are all the body, and Christ is the head. Right? We're all parts. Now, we all are different parts, but none are less or more important than the other. Matter of fact, here's a little trick right here. I'm going to show you this. How many of you are right-handed? All right. My right-handers, let's see you right with your left hand. I'm going to tell you right now, I was going to do this, but I was going to get way too embarrassed to do it. And I was going to throw a ball with my left hand. That's, I don't even think it'd be like we'd have to worry about nothing in here. 
I mean, I think I can throw about 60, 70 miles an hour with my right hand pretty good. But I'm going to tell you with that left hand, I don't even know how it stands. Like I, I think about a pitcher with a pitcher. It's easy for me to think like a pitcher and I can, I can go through all the motions. But when I get over here, I'm like, I got to figure that thing out, man. I can't figure out how to like even like it doesn't make it doesn't even make sense. My elbow like doesn't even work right. All right. And if you know, right. So if you left hander, same thing for you, right? I mean, you're all left handed. Like how? And I know some of you blessed being ambidextrous. Okay, you're special. That's what makes you special too. But what I'm trying to show you is that you ever notice like all of a sudden, so you right-handers are so right-hand dominant. So if I take off your left hand, it's not going to be a big impact to your world. Oh, it will be. All of a sudden you're like, I wanted to pick up this hot pan, but I didn't want to like, uh, I got no other left hand. <laughs> it's funny how that is, right? We don't see the importance of something like, well, I'm so right arm, I'm right arm dominant anyway. I just only, I don't really need anything else until uh-huh, you really need it. Then you realize, oh, two hands is better than one. It is. I mean, if we didn't think it was, then we would never pity anybody who's lost an extremity. Yeah, try walking with one leg. Right? I think my right leg is stronger than my left leg, but I am glad every time I walk that my left leg is there. <laughs> Makes sense, doesn't it? It's funny how we never appreciate a lot of the body until, because we take it for granted. We take it for granted. What makes it unique might seem insignificant to you, but I promise you, it's like I was saying with the left leg, it becomes very significant when you need it. Same is the way of the body. Be you. Be you. Don't slave yourself out to some false identity where you got to be everything. You got to like subject yourself constantly to this idea of what someone needs. Let me finish the, the Apostle Paul's thoughts. He says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy. Work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in your confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. (laughs) What a great last word, right? Don't think you know it all. The hardest thing we have is to be able to accept people for who they are. You know, even as I tell you that I'm getting ready to launch this just as you are thing for our uh, evangelistic outreach kind of that, we, that we'll do. That the idea is the same, that we love people just as they are. Right. Just like Brennan says, not as they should be. None of us are as we should be. So let me just love them like they are and not feel as if I'm better than I am not better than anyone. I know Jesus. 
And I, I love, uh, I think it was Spurgeon that says, he that deserves nothing should be content with anything. Uh, if you know Jesus, you sh- and you know the gospel, you already know your place in the gospel. You are the one who put him on the cross. There is no high and mighty in the church. We all have placed him there equally. Now, Paul likes to think he's the, the, the A number one guy, the worst sinner, the chief sinner according to the Bible, but I'll give him a run for his money. I'll give him a run for his money. And you know what I think? I think you can too. I think you can too. And I think Jesus' love is bigger than that. I think Jesus came to free us sometimes from ourselves. I had a talk with Eric this morning as we were setting up. And one of the things that keeps coming back to me is a, is a line that Jason Collison had said. Uh, y'all know Jason. He's a First Baptist youth pastor in Kingsland. And one of the things he says over and over, and it's so simple, but yet I always, it's like to me, I always think about it because it's so profound. Jason said to me, he says, you know, Jim, I just some days I look in the mirror and I look right at my eyes and I go, you're supposed to be dead. I crucified you. Why are you still here? Sometimes I'm not sure we sit there and wait till it's done. Sometimes I think we pull the nails right back out knowing we'll heal. We know God's mercy and sometimes we use God's mercy against him. His love is bigger than that and his mercy is great and it's vast and it's wide and you'll never see the end of it. But I promise you this, if you, learn, if you heard anything from me this morning, is this. Everything pulls at you and tugs at you, and it's the rip current that you cannot see. Be you. Be you. Don't be someone else. Don't be a version of what you see on TV. Don't idolize some pastor. Don't idolize some worship leader. Don't idolize some other Christian and say, that's what I want to be. Be you. Don't think that you're somehow inferior. That's not true. What did, what did he, last words he said, don't act like a know-it-all, because you don't. And guess what? The people that you think do, they don't either. They don't either, right? I, one of the things we said about a mosaic and our transparency and our brokenness and our honesty, what, that we would constantly be that in front of everybody. Why? So that not to give the false expectation that we've arrived. And that starts here at the pulpit. You know, my, my uh, mentor, Stephen, I was telling him, he goes, you know, the great thing I always love talking to you about, he says that I know that if you're telling me all this stuff and this is the stuff you're saying to your people, that's the kind of people you'll have. You'll have on, honest people, blunt, honest people. And I said, amen, amen. Because it's only when we're honest, man. Jesus doesn't know the, that, that false identity. Jesus doesn't know that person. You can't take that person to the prayer closet. Did you know that? Jesus won't recognize them. Jesus knows the real you, the one he created. That's the one that has to speak to him in the prayer closet. So before you think you need to get all fancy worded up in the prayer closet when nobody can hear you, Jesus don't care about your fancy words. Jesus knows you. He knows what you're thinking behind those fancy words. That's why when he looked at the Pharisees and he says, uh, um, you know, or is it, oh man, I'm blanking out here. Uh, the, where are basically saying, your lips praise me, but your hearts are far from me. Oh yeah, you're saying the right things. Oh uh, yeah, I get that part. You're saying the right things, but your hearts are strange. Your hearts are a strange fire before me. I don't know what that is. Be you. You know what that's saying? That's Jesus going, be you. Just come to me honest. It's like the guy that hung next to him and said, Lord, can I go with your going? Yeah, I'm telling you today. And let me tell you, the only reason he's next to him because he's not a good guy. On the cross, the two guys next to him aren't good guys. 
And what did Jesus say when the guys just, he didn't try to say, listen, I'm really, I was innocent. Uh, and uh, Lord, vindicate me. Take me to paradise with you. He didn't say any of that, did he? He just kind of owned it. Lord, just take me. All right, come on. It's amazing what happens when we're just us. And you want to see the power of God in your life? Be you. You want to see the power of God in your prayers? Be you in the prayer closet. But be you. We struggle so much there. So much. And it's like you th- we, I think we think as we get older, like we have less of a struggle. But that's not true. We still look and judge each other by other families and what other things are doing. We look at other churches as church people. We look at other churches and see what other churches are doing. Uh, remember, we talked about this when we talked about co- competition, how everybody that I know, th- even pastors think that uh, churches compete one against the other. Because we're always looking at everybody else and judging what we do against everything else. So we become something based off what we judged everybody else to be, which is not what God created. And you do the same thing with other families. You do, ladies, you do the same thing with other women. Guys, you do the same thing with other guys. We look at other men. We look at men. For guys, it's like guys like Chris Kyle. And we go, man, I hope I'm man enough to be like something like that. You know, or we look at guys like, uh, who's the guy in Lone Survivor? Yeah, Marcus Luttrell. <laughs> yeah, I, I just gave up on that deal. I'm like, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm never going to, like, be shot up five or six times and cross seven miles. I'll be like, Lord, take me. I'm just going to, that's welcome. That's, you know, your pastor's weak that way. I'm just going to give up the ghost in Afghanistan. That's what would happen. You know, I love you, Joy. I know God's got you. Because <laughs> I'm dying right here in this dirt. I'm not that strong. I'm not that tough. I wish I was, but I'm not. So... Is what it is there. Let me pray, and I'm gonna. We're gonna get ready for to come back for worship, and uh, we want to pray for you today. And if that's something you struggle with, we're gonna pray for that at the altar time. And please utilize the time of worship as a transition into the altar. Please use that time where, uh, when you transition in, uh, to just be praying as you sing that your heart actually means the very words you're singing. Amen. Let's pray as they're as they're coming back, Father. Um, Lord, I know we struggle a lot in these areas, and uh, Lord, I know you want to do a work in us, Lord, but Lord, you're going to have to help us. Uh, It's not easy, God. Uh, We spend our whole life, I think by nature, God, kind of doing the opposite, Lord, but Father, I would pray that um, you would just help us in that area. Be strong when we're weak, oh Lord, that we may boast in your strength, God that we may boast in your strength, God. In Jesus' name. If you guys will stand up with us for worship this morning. I know we've kind of changed it up a little bit to, to do uh, some worship at the end, and I really feel like that's what the Lord wants us to do. I feel like when we come in here and we get the word planted in our heart and rooted in our heart, what comes out of us is thankfulness and um, gratification and, and so at this this is the time where I feel like we can sing and, and just through these words at least tell the Lord how we feel so Father we come this morning Lord I pray you open our eyes that even through these words of these songs that we sing Lord that you would do something on our heart so that our heart will look more like you.
come against the enemy right now who has spoken into your ear and told you that you're not good enough that that has tried to place everything upon your works what you do he's tried to put everything upon what has been said to you or spoken into you as if Jesus doesn't love you or can't accept you unless you're a certain way that is a lie and I speak to that spirit right now and I say I cast it out that God loves you and may you hear the love of God in your ear this morning may you hear the love of God in your heart this morning may you know that he accepts you just like you are you do not have to be someone else you don't have to be anything else you don't have to be more spiritual read up everything under the sun it is good to pursue him it is good to love him But He loves you. If He could love you while you were a sinner, what has changed? Are you more wicked now than you were before? Quit listening to the voices inside you. Quit listening to that fleshly voice that needs to be crucified. Quit. Listen to the word of the Lord. Listen to the words that God would have you hear. Hear His love for you hear him say I accept you I love you come to me you are heavy and weary and you need rest you place these taxes upon you these burdens upon you but I tell you that you are a reed that I will not bruise I will blow like the wind but I will take all consideration of you I will make sure you are firmly planted. Read God's word. Hear his love story. His commitment to the cross. To die for you while you are yet sinners. There is no greater love. None. You don't have to be anything. He died for you while you were sinners. You don't need anything else. 